Hey, Justin. Yes, David. I've come up with a way to save the TV industry. And what is that? A podcast all about TV shows and the people that make them happen. Good. When are we going to start it? Ten seconds ago. This is TV Show and Tell. Hello and welcome to TV Show and Tell, your private ticket to go behind the velvet rope of the TV industry. I'm David Bodicum, and in this episode we've got one of our now traditional specials, where my co-presenter Justin Scroggy reports back from MIPCOM, the most important event in the TV entertainment calendar. Held in Cannes, France, MIPCOM is seen as a place to network make deal announcements, find out about new formats, and have a cocktail or three at various corporate events. Though the format's business and TV generally is still recovering since the pandemic, nevertheless MIPCOM is still seen as being hugely important. So let's hear from Justin now for his thoughts on the market and the new formats that he's heard about. So here I am again in Cannes, once more at Television Market. This time it's MIPCOM, which is the autumn version of the major European market. Very well attended, I must say. Staggeringly, the number of delegates announced actually matches the numbers here in Cannes, or more or less anyway. I think when I last looked, there were 10,400 people registered and I think 11,000 plus announced, but that's close enough. And it's a lot of people, so it's a busy, buzzy market after really quite a long time, really before COVID. Having said that, what you find is that the buyers tend to arrive on Sunday night. Um, they do Monday and Tuesday, and then they leave either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. There's always a strange kind of rumbling sound on a Wednesday morning where you hear all the uh, wheelie suitcases bumping over the cobbles on the way back to the station. Anyway, it's, as I said, it's, it's quite buzzy. There's lots of people here from all over the world. Um, I'm here wearing several different hats as usual. So pitching new formats. It's hard pitching paper formats at a market that's primarily about buying and selling finished programs. That is programs that have already been made. They're either being sold as finished episodes or full programs or as formats, i.e. programs that have been made and we're going to sell the recipe for other people to make them. I'm also here to meet existing clients and to offer consultancy services to new clients. Networking is a big part of these events, which is to say not only maintaining existing relationships with work friends, but also making new ones. I think you can network with old friends, but really that's maintaining your network, whereas real networking is making new ones. And above all, I'm here to be seen. Um, an independent operator out of sight is nearly always out of mind. And I've certainly had one meeting already where at the end of the meeting, the person that was meeting said, you know, Justin, you weren't on my radar, but you are now. There's been a few, uh, few fun things around. I mean, there's the usual Smurfs, which uh, I managed to not lose my dignity this time and get photographed with. There was a piano on the Quasette promoting the piano. 
the Channel 4 Love Productions format for anyone to go and play, which I think was being filmed as well. I really wanted to have a go on that, but I, I missed the moment. Before we get to specific formats, there's a few takeaways from the market. The first is about free ad-supported television, fast. That's going through a very red-hot boom at the moment. It's probably the fastest-growing area of the business. Actually, scheduled television, they tend to be grouped around a particular genre or even just around one show. There might just be all episodes of Friends or all episodes of MasterChef or whatever. But they're supported by advertising and they are therefore free to air. It's very attractive to viewers, but it's also very attractive to, to people with a library. I mean, basically, anybody with a decent library of shows can create a channel very cheaply. And because of the ads, they get paid for it. So everyone's doing it at the moment. But there is a bit of a reality check which has come up in this market. First is the realisation that the money generated by these things is pretty small. And now that the big players are also moving into the fast channel market, they, of course, have got the premium content, the stuff that people really want to see. And there's only so many eyeballs that are available to watch all of this stuff. And there is a view that that premium content is actually going to squeeze some of the smaller fish out. Secondly, free ad-supported television is dependent on ads, on advertisers. And again, there's a finite number of those. And they will ultimately go to where most of the viewers are. So, again, at the moment, the idea that you can just set up a channel, people will watch it and advertisers will pay for it. I think the economics of that are going to change, or so I'm told. Another takeaway from this market is something I've been banging on about for months and months and months, which is the end of binging. Big platforms as we know, need to squeeze as much profit out of their content as possible. And they finally realised, <laughs> finally, that spreading out delivery of that content means that more people watch, and therefore the advertising and the marketing is more effective than that, or that creates more income. The question that wasn't answered in this market was, how will the digital natives deal with it? Um, particularly after a crackdown on password sharing, um, at the moment, what we know is the digital natives sign up for a streamer, they watch what they want to watch, and then they sign off. However, if series are only available on a weekly basis, then that doesn't work. You can't just go on, watch the whole series, and then go off again, because you're going to need to stay with that channel for weeks or even months to get the whole series. And we don't know yet how those digital natives and digital nomads really are going to respond to that. And the third takeaway is probably about the strike. So as you know, we've had the writer's strike in America that ran for about six months. We still have the actor's strike going on. And there was a view that all of that was going to affect the market. Well, I think the answer to that is not yet. Like everywhere else, um, there was a distinct absence of stars. The only person that I was aware of was Ava Longoria, um, the Desperate Housewives star. And she was in town to announce the launch of her new production company, Back by Banerjee. But apart from her, there weren't any visible stars around. But generally, it hasn't affected the content yet. What you've got to remember, though, is that 
shows are produced a, a long time in advance, uh, particularly drama, and the majority of drama is shot in, in the summer. So what you've actually created is a, is a delay in the vacuum that's been created by all of the shows that haven't been made. And I think we're going to feel an impact of that in 2024, both on our screens and also at the markets where there will just be less content to buy. So let's look at the first category, reality. One of the things we've seen recently is a genre that's come to be known as reality hoax. And that's a show in which there's perhaps one person involved who's unaware that everybody else involved in the show is an actor. We saw this with the rehearsal, but also particularly with jury duty earlier this year, where one real person was signed up for jury duty, unaware that everybody else involved was an actor. And now we have The Underdog, a British format for E4. Originally called Alan Must Win, it involves a group of contestants who are sharing a house, and they all believe they're in a reality show competing to become the most popular person in the house. And the contestants are all very stereotypical reality men and women, except for Josh. Josh is not like them at all. He's nerdy, he wears glasses, he's not in any sense beach-ready or fit. And what none of them know, including Josh, is that there are celebrities next door who are playing the real game. And the real game is to make sure that Josh wins the show. So to do that... They control the games, they eavesdrop on the diary room, they add format twists, they do whatever it takes to try and help Josh win without, of course, Josh realising it or indeed anybody else. As, as with all of these reality hoaxes recently, it's got, a, it's got a quite a warm feel to it. It's not actually being cruel to anybody. And the idea that actually you're trying to make somebody win rather than to beat them out feeds into that. The only question I've got about it is, with all of these kind of uh, pranks and hoaxes and all the rest of it, is how do you make season two? But let's see how season one goes first. So that's the underdog on E4 in the UK. The next show I wanted to mention was The Lost Ones. This is from TV2 Denmark. It's a survival competition, and then God knows we've had plenty of those recently, so everybody is looking for another way to do them. And the twist in this one is actually very simple and I think quite effective. You've got a group of civilians dropped into the remote wilderness in different locations. Each of them have got a radio and a survival kit. So far, so the same. They're also each carrying a locked canister containing a percentage of the cash price but nobody knows which canister has how much of the percentage but that's not the twist the twist is that they have to find all the other contestants somewhere in the landscape why because in order to claim the cash they have to all get out together before the time runs out so as well as surviving and as well as trying to find a route out, they've also all got to find each other. And they are 
separated by some distance, must be said. Yeah. You know, that's the twist, really. Um, the, the chief executive of the production company said this. Most survival formats have a last man standing approach. Our premise is the extreme opposite. We are stronger together than alone. So essentially they've taken that last man standing approach and turned it on its head, which is always an interesting way to approach um, doing a familiar format in a new way. Of course, it also means that it doesn't have the, the grit and angst and competitiveness of your standard adventure reality show. So I guess we'll have to wait and see whether it contains enough drama and excitement. But I like it. I like, I like the idea of it and... It's interesting to see how it plays out. My next category is talent. Again, another very crowded field. Another thing where you think, really, is there anything else we could do? So Fox US have come up with a wheeze. It's called Beat My Mini-Me's. If you were what a mini-me is, a mini-me is a smaller, younger version of yourself. In this instance, they've taken five well-known singers and each of them team up with a group of children aged, I don't know, 8 14, I think. These kids dress and sing like that well-known singer. Therefore, they are their mini-me's. And they compete as teams. So the singer acts as a mentor as well as performing themselves with the rest of the team. So they all sing together in various combinations. It hasn't premiered yet. It starts at the end of the year on TF1 in France under the name Dream Team La Relève des Stars. Relève is an interesting word because it kind of means the changing of the guard. So the implication is that the well-known singer is kind of passing the baton onto the stars of the future. To be really honest, I don't quite understand how the game works. I know that they compete as teams, um, and I'm assuming that it's the children who are the essential competitors, and I don't know whether they're eliminated or not. I've seen the, the um, promo several times, and I've also re read up on it, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be very clear, but I'm sure they've figured it out. Anyway, that's one to look out for. It's very French. The French love shows with uh, talented kids performing in prime time. Again, that's a cultural thing, and whether that translates into other countries, we'll have to wait and see. But that's Beat My Mini-Me's or Dream Team La Relève des Stars. So my other talent pick is somewhat more familiar. It's called Mamma Mia, I Have a Dream. Um, it recently launched on ITV in the UK. It involves people who have a dream to become a musical theatre star. And it's essentially ITV's take on all those Andrew Lloyd Webber musical audition shows on the BBC, like um, How Do You Solve a Problem, like Maria, casting for The Sound of Music, and so on. So they do the usual thing. They go through challenges and masterclasses and, of course, performances. And... There's two people who are hoping to be cast as Sophie and Skye in the musical Mamma Mia in London's West End. One nice twist at it is that this time they've taken the competition out of the studio or out of the theatre 
and it takes place in and around the Greek islands where the musical is set and where the movie was filmed. So that, I think, gives it a fresh lick of paint. Yeah, it's it's a bit different. It looks very, very glossy. I read one, one review of the ITV thing which said there has never been more screaming in a single episode of a reality competition. But uh, <laughs> listen, they're excited. They have a dream. Why not? My third category is factual entertainment. Fact, hint. One thing I picked out is called Evil Genius. This is uh, Sky History. Um, it's based on a BBC radio for podcasts of the same name. So they, you know, they'd taken a podcast, thought it done well, decided to do it on TV, which is becoming quite a familiar route. It involves a comedian host who's joined by celebs, expert witnesses and historians. And what they're doing is they're examining the reputation of various historical figures. So they might be Churchill or Coco Chanel or Richard Nixon, Einstein. They're all people in the first series. And at the end, the panel are going to vote to decide whether that person was evil or whether they were a genius. Now, obviously, they've deliberately picked people who have good reputations and bad reputations. Along the way, however, as they debate it, the host drops what he calls truth bombs. And these are a way of making people question their assumptions so far. So, for example, one of the characters that they examine the reputation of is Pablo Escobar. Now, what we know about Pablo Escobar is that he was a Colombian drug lord. So, you might say that he goes obviously into the evil rather than genius category. However, the truth bomb that comes along, or one of them, is that Escobar redistributed the wealth he earned by being a drug lord among the poor, like Robin Hood. So, now does that mean he's completely evil? Well, that's the idea of the game. By the way, I think he probably still is. So that's how the game works. Nice, simple, fun way of doing history. My other factual entertainment format comes from South Korea, from CR Media. It's called Bestseller. What I like about this is that we've had lots of formats over the years where people are pitching products or inventions to a panel of experts or business tycoons, whatever. But they generally, whilst the selling is important, the focus is on the product and the business plan. In this show, it's all about the selling. And it's hosted by a home shopping star, and that's because it's very much in the home shopping genre. In each episode, you've got three sellers, and they're attempting to sell a variety of products. They step into an elevator, and only when the doors open are they faced with the buyers, and they have five minutes to sell the product. But here's the twist. They don't know what they're going to sell until that day, and they don't know who they're selling it to. Now, I've known a few people who've done their stint in teleshopping, and this is very true. Um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite normal uh, for a teleshopping salesperson to arrive at a studio in the morning, open a cardboard box, and that's the first time they get to see what they're going to be talking about and raving about on on the camera in a in an hour or two's time. 
their skill is to get their heads around what it is, think up what's great about it, and then infuse about it with each other on the camera in order to get people to buy it. So, you know, if you can do that, you are a salesperson. And the good thing is that because we all buy and we all sell and we all get sold to, we all get pitched to, and we watch adverts all of the time and so on, we're actually pretty good. I mean, that's what I... One of the things when you do any kind of talent show is you need the viewers to be able to be experts. That's why singing competitions work, because we all think we know whether someone can sing or not. Similarly, with Dragon's Den, we all think we know whether a product is something we'd buy or not. Where talent shows tend to go wrong is when they stray into niche areas, when the audience can't really judge the performance of the person competing. In this instance, the audience can. Interestingly, it's launching on an e-commerce site first, which means that the products that these sellers are selling are actually going to be for sale. So they're going to be selling for real, which I think is really good fun. But I do think it'll work outside of an e-commerce situation too. As you may know, listeners, I've spent quite a lot of time in South Korea I've done lectures and workshops for CR Media in the past, and it was lovely to see them here at the Korean Pavilion with some smart, workable formats on offer to the marketplace. My final category is Game Show. So generally, there were fewer games and quiz shows than usual at this market. I think it reflects the fact that most games and quiz shows commissioned over the last year are actually reboots of old shows. So it's quite hard actually to find some game shows that felt new and original. One of the shows I picked out is called The Jump. No, it's not the ski jumping show from Channel 4. It's a quiz show from the Netherlands, from Talpa. So what you have to imagine is there are five contestants and they're competing to be the first to cross a real bridge. However, set into each rung of the bridge as you go across it are four tiles, and each of those four tiles has a fact about a set topic. But only one of those facts are true, and you have to guess which one. Once you've decided, then the contestant physically jumps forwards onto the tile they think is true. And if they're right, they're safe. If they're wrong then it turns out the tile is a trapdoor and they fall through the trapdoor into the water below. Now, honestly, like a lot of Talpa formats, it does feel like a bit of a Franken format. You know, you stick post-it notes on a board with descriptors from other shows. It's a quiz, it's true or false, there's a bridge, there's a trapdoor, there's cash, and they all get cobbled together into a Franken format. I'm not sure if that's a word, Franken format. If it isn't, um, then I claim it. I claim it here first. <laughs> I think the thing with a lot of game shows at the moment is they feel slightly desperate to stand out visually. I mean, I'm a big fan of that shows should have a visual identity, but I also feel that we've reached a point where the only thing that stands out about the new show is that it's visually wacky. And that's true of another game show from, from the Netherlands, this time from Endemol Shine, called Upside Down. Well, the clues in the title, 
the studio is literally turned upside down um, and there are two celebrity teams and they're going to undertake all sorts of challenges in this upside down world uh, whether they're physical stunts or quizzes or whatever as I said it's following the trend for big silly shiny floor shows with a strong visual identity but not much else these shows are aimed squarely at broad family viewing which is the largest demographic and yeah, it definitely makes for a fun two-minute promo. I'm just not sure whether it might make for a rather tiresome hour. It also needs feeding more and more challenges to feed into the central premise rather than having one single strong premise that you do over and over again, episode after episode after episode. My last category would have been dating, um, but to be honest, I couldn't really see anything worth talking about. Yes, there were various dating shows, though interestingly less than previous markets. I keep being told that the dating hasn't gone away, it's back, it's back, it's back. But honestly, what there was felt very, very contrived. Now, maybe the genre has just seen so many variations, it's hard, if not impossible, to find something that's new and authentic so in all honesty i couldn't bring a dating show to report today anyway that's my roundup of some highlights and perhaps lowlights from the market it's been like i said it's been a, it's been a good market i've enjoyed being here there's been lots of people to see lots of people to talk to there's been some good sessions um and despite a certain amount of gloom and doom about the uncertainty of the market, which is definitely there. I did feel a, a general sense of well-being and positivity about people wanting to get together and be creative and make shows and sell them and see them flourish around the world. And that's ultimately what Bipcom is all about. And that's all for this time. We'll both be back soon with more news and views about the TV format industry. If you'd like to contact us, you can tweet us at TV Show Podcast or email contact at tvshowandtell.com. But for now, this has been TV Show and Tell. <laughs>